Praise God. I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. And in particular, we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. They read as follows. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come? and appear before my God. We're going to be starting a series called The Pursuit of God. And I thought probably this would probably be the most important passage that we could uh, initiate this. Why? Because we're living in a day and time um, where our society is incredibly on edge. You know, we have this virus that's sweeping through our country, sweeping through the world, and you can put your political things aside about it, other than it is going through the world and it's causing much, much, much consternation in the world. Our society is fraught with so much anxiety, so much angst, so much nervousness, so much division, so much war. I'll tell you, I, I don't remember a time in my lifetime, honestly, uh, where I have seen the nation, our nation, so divided and the world on such edge. It really is. And if you allow it, by the way, if you allow it, it will consume you. You know, the most beautiful thing that Scripture teaches us that as believers we do indeed overcome. We overcome by Christ within us. We have a final victory. We have a final assurance that if we are indeed in Christ, there's nothing in the world that will befall us permanently. Here in the United States, we, we probably have one of the most wicked governments, I think, that has ever been pursuing one of the most wicked agendas, I think, that we have ever pursued. There's a lot of talk. I think America is, you know, big, big term we used to call is America was a Christian nation, then America was a post-Christian nation. I honestly think America is a pagan nation at this point right now and the agendas that we're pursuing. The scriptures tell us that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, Proverbs 14, 24. I think you could see that America's status in the world today is becoming more of a reproach than being a vicar of righteousness. And there's a reason for that, because what does God say about what's going on in our nation and the sins that we flaunt perpetually before him. I mean, 62 million lives have been terminated for convenience, for convenience. You know, the blood guiltiness of, of the nation of America cries out deeply. And this has affected the church, by the way, in many ways. The church is, uh, has seen to incorporate more and more of the world and less and less of the gospel. One of the things we take real pride with here at Calvary is we're a gospel-proclaiming, Bible-believing church. And so we hold to the Word of God. The Word of God, you know, we hold to the, the creeds of our Reformers, right? Which is, you know, uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all authority is in Scripture alone. And so we hold to the tenets of, of Scripture, and we're going to continue to hold to the tenets of Scripture, but more and more today, you see more and more churches falling away from the truth of Scripture and kind of picking up the ways of the world. You know, we want to build a big church, we want to have multiple campuses, we want to have all this other stuff, so you gotta, you got to smooth out the rough edges of the gospel so that more and more people will come, you know, and hear it. Listen, the gospel is an offense to men. If you were with us Tuesday night on our Bible study, as we've been going through Romans, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 9 why Israel is still in unbelief at the time of his day. And he said they stumbled over the stumbling stone. They couldn't get past that it was Christ. Christ became so offensive to them. And you know what? Christ is still very offensive in the world today. You know, and it always amazes me that whenever you share the gospel, you're going to share with somebody that you're a Christian and you're going to share, you know, what do you believe? And you start going down. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ, just the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus 
died, that Jesus was raised again, that there's no other way to the Father but through him. And what is the response you get from most people? It is hostility. It is uh, uh, an anger. There is a frustration. Mention the name of Jesus and you'll see people get real tense and real tight. Just mention the name and they think that you're preaching at them. Why? Because fallen man, sinful man, or woman, I want to hear the message of the gospel. And our enemy is doing a good job today about uh, reducing the impact of the gospel as it's going out there. We have many people who profess God, who profess a fear of God, but who no, song, no sooner would neglect the worship of God for a day at the beach or for a day at leisure. And what's even worse, it doesn't move them. Like they're not even convicted by it. That's what's worse, if you ask me. I think that's what's worse. But yet, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. So is it any real wonder that we see a weak, emaciated church in this day and age? And believe me, I, I am not, I want, to, I want this to be crystal clear. I'm not waving the banner that I'm the poster boy or Calvary's the poster boy. All I'm saying is you look at the landscape and this is what we see. This is what we see. And lastly, we see a world, a world in chaos. Terrible chaos. Even unbelievers sense that something is wrong in the world. And even unbelievers will say, we cannot continue going down in this manner in this kind of fashion that something is about to give and let me tell you something church one of the biggest things that the enemy is is propagating in the world today is fear and many people you put on the news you put, i don't care what news you watch and what social media you belong to i belong to none but i'll tell you what if you allow yourself to be absorbed into the day-to-day you know, tellings of what is going on, you too will be consumed with fear. What does the Word of God say? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind. Why? Because we have, as believers, we have a future hope in Christ that is unshakable. If we were to be, if the worst scenario would play out in this country, if we were to be persecuted for Christ. If, if right now policemen and soldiers came in and arrested all of us and, 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 and you know someone died in this, they still don't win. Do you realize that? That if we lose our life, we gain our life with the Father, we gain our eternal reward. Listen, I beg you, I implore you, this is not new from me. You've heard this before. I beg you, I implore you, Stay off the social media. Stop getting caught up in the political aspects. Listen, there isn't a man or a woman who's going to solve the ills of this nation unless this nation repents of its sin. That's the only hope. Christ is the only hope. And so all the time that you may spend, you know, on the phone with doing this, that, and the other thing, oh, look at this, look at that, look at the other thing. Listen, it's a waste of time. No one is going to solve it. Put your hope and faith in Christ and say, Lord, that I would not bow the knee to Baal. That I would stand in that day of testing. That I would be firm. So what is the answer? As I shared for you, the only answer for the believer is for us to know God is for us to know God. I'm going to make a big deal about that word, know. To draw near to Him. To hunger for Him. And thirst for God. The answer is in our collective and individual pursuit of God. That is the answer. Now we're reading from Psalm 42 this morning. In the psalmist, just a little bit of background, the psalmist likens himself to a deer that has been hunted. It has been running through the wood from its pursuers. It's been running for the dogs, and now it is tired, and now it is thirsty, and it seeks out the water to cool it. 
Brothers and sisters, that should describe the Christian today. The Christian today should be categorized. The Christian today should be consumed with the pursuit of God. We should yearn for the presence of the Lord. We should desire the things of God above all else. Now, what is the enemy? What's the countermeasure of the enemy? The countermeasure of the enemy is, let me give you all these distractions so that you don't pursue God. And they do abound, don't they? Entertainment. Probably, I think, one of the most potent weapons ever used is the cell phone. Right? I mean, I was at a, where was I? I was at a restaurant one day and, you know, I was just looking around while we were waiting for the waiter and probably 75% of couples, of couples in the restaurant were, I'm going, come on, really? He has provided us with tons of distractions. But here's the sad truth. Most people who would identify, most people who would call themselves a Christian, don't desire the things of God. Many feel very pleased that they went to church on Sunday. You've heard me say this. You know, they went to church on Sunday, they did God the favor, and now the rest of the day is theirs. Most of them won't even think twice about missing a Sunday service to pursue a day of leisure. Most want a one-and-done type of approach to God. What's the one and done approach? Hey, I'm not going to hell. That's it. I accepted Jesus. I walked an aisle. I was baptized. I did this. I took the Lord's blessing. Whatever it is. I'm good. So now I'm just going to live my life the way I want. And, you know, occasionally I'm going to come back and forth. Oh, church, I pray this would not be so. What will it take for everyone to become so consumed by Christ, by His mercies, that He would take first place in everything? Listen, do you think that the disciples gave their lives because Christ was a secondary thought or a pursuit in their passion? I don't think so. Do you think the great men and women of the faith some of who were killed, some were imprisoned. Do you think they became that way because Christ was some kind of secondary element in the faith? We're going to look at the text today. We're going to see that deer, and that deer is panting, panting for the water brooks. It is in the search of the presence of the Almighty. Listen, that will give meaning to your life. It will give meaning to your life. People sometimes feel that they're defined by their vocation. They defeal, they, some people feel that they're defined by something that may have happened in the past. But I submit to you, you're defined, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are defined by Christ. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is your definition. That's what defines you. And if that defines you, that's the way that we should be living and that's the way that we should be pursuing the Lord. Take a look at Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. I had mentioned here we see the weary deer, we see the weary traveler. He's exhausted. His canteen is empty. He must drink or he must die. He must have God or faint. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful thought. I must have God. I must have God for my very life. I must have God for my very sustenance. Notice that the deer here is thirsting. Thirst is probably the strongest physiological response in the body. And one thing about thirst is it has to be satisfied in order for that response to be removed. And he's comparing it. Here the psalmist is comparing it as the deer, just like the deer, pants after the water brook. So my soul pants after thee, O God. The soul, the very essence 
of who you are. My very being pants for God. One of the premises that we originally started this church on is that we were really kind of done with uh, the formalistic religion and the whole premise, the whole purpose was to have a place where the Word of God is exalted, the Word of God is lifted up, and the Word of God is poured out so that we could come to know God. And by the way, when I say know God, I'm talking about knowing God. Like you know your son, you know your daughter, you know your husband, you know your wife. That we can come into that place and we can come and know Him. And this is the heart that is writing here in Psalm 40 true. The imagery given here is one who has been removed. He's been removed from worship. He's been removed from the presence of God Almighty. And as a result, a litanies of fear and doubt arise in his heart. Look at some of the verses here. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me, where is your God? Look at verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of my presence. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls, and all thy breakers and all thy waves have rolled over me. Here you see he's removed from the presence of God. He's out of the presence of God. And consequently, what does he yearn for? He yearns for God. Let me share something with you. When you remove yourself from the presence of God, when you're consumed by entertainment, when you're consumed by your job, when you're consumed with a litany of other things, you have a tendency to remove yourself from the presence of God. And the deep reflex action of your soul should be I pant after God. Maybe you've had some of these experiences where you met the Lord in prayer and the Lord is, you know, has come to you and you've had great times of prayer, but then your life gets busy and you're running after all these other different things and then deep down inside your soul comes a yearning and a longing. I want to go back to that place. I want to meet with God alone. I want the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and minister to me in ways that I don't even know or conceive so that the presence of God would again be a part of my life. This is what's going on here in Psalm 42. And notice the psalmist yearns for the presence of God. He doesn't yearn for religious formality. He doesn't yearn for ritual. He doesn't even yearn for for fellowship with other believers. What and who does he yearn for? He yearns for God himself. The consuming desire with the heart of the psalmist is for God. For the knowledge and the presence of Him. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The believer can experience the presence of God. The believer can when he comes alone when they come alone unto the Lord, can experience the presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And there is not anything else that can be more beautiful or more satisfying than that. Listen to some of these great men. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is what he says. What the Holy Spirit does is make real to us the things which we have believed by faith, the things which we have had, but a kind of indirect certainty. The Holy Spirit makes these things immediately real. He goes on to say, Is this our trouble, my dear friends? That we talk about a God and we believe in a God, but, we do, uh, but do we know the God or the glory of God? A.W. Tozer says this, For it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God Himself. And unless and until hearers find God in personal experience, they are not better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men into an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into Him, that they may delight in His presence and may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God Himself in the care and center of their hearts. 
J.I. Packard, who wrote that amazing book, Knowing God, says this, Some Christians seem to resign themselves to following afar off, believing the Bible record indeed, but neither seeking nor expecting for themselves such intimacy and direct dealing with God as the men and women of the Bible knew. Such an attitude, all too common today, is in effect a confession of failure to see a way through this problem. What are all these men saying? That as believers, we can indeed know the power and the presence of God Himself. There's a big difference, right? Isn't there a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone? I could say I know about my brother Henry. I could say I know about his vocation. I could say I know about where he lives. But that is a profound difference than knowing my brother Henry. Having intimacy, having having spent time with him about understanding his likes, his dislikes, his desires. It's only as I come to know a person that I can say intelligently, I know them. But far too often we settle for so much less. We settle for knowledge of, but knowledge, not direct knowledge of. Turn in your Bibles real quick to Judges chapter 6. I just want to show you this. Judges chapter 6. This is the story of Gideon. If you're a student of the Bible, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with Gideon, right? He put out a fleece. God came to him and was going to use him to deliver his children. But I want to call your attention to verse 13 after the angel of the Lord appears to him. Notice something that Gideon says in Judges 6.13. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. Gideon is having an experience like many believers today. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Hey, hail mighty warrior, I could just see it today. Gideon's going, You talking to me? Who are you talking to? And consequently, the Lord tells him, hey, you're going to be used, you're going to be a chosen vessel, you're going to be used here to deliver the children of Israel. And what does Gideon say? Gideon says this, he says, where are all the miracles? Where are all the things we heard about? Our fathers have told us before these things have happened in the past. Where are they? And that's like many people today. Where is the move of God? Where is the power of God? We see all these things happening in our society, and we, like Gideon, say, where is God? And I'm going to tell you, God is here. And God is in His Word. And if we draw near to Him, as James says, He will draw near to us. If we pursue Him, He will pursue us. He will bring us in. But we must pursue The proof of desire is in the pursuit. That's the key. If you're not pursuing God, how then will you know God? And then when trial comes and testing comes in our life, what's the first thing we do? Oh God, why has this happened to me? Why is this happening? But when trial and testing comes into the heart of a believer, we could fall back on the rock of Jesus Christ. We could be immovable, always abounding in every good work. We cannot, we don't have to be moved and shaken. And we could hold on. Look, I don't like all the stuff I see going on in our society. I don't like seeing all the stuff in the world. But I must cling to Christ. And I must cling and believe every word when he tells us that God always works things for good, for God's good in the heart of every single believer, even though I may not understand it, even though I'm struggling with it, I could hold on to the truth, the very foundation that God is a God who cannot mislead, he cannot lie, he can't manipulate us. So if he says it's true, even if I don't understand it, I must cling to the Lord. 
and say, you have a plan. You have a purpose. Listen, the great Westminster Confession, the first article in that confession was the chief aim of man or mankind is to glorify God and everybody forgets the second element and to enjoy Him forever. As believers, we have an opportunity to enjoy God. And I want to be very clear with that. I'm not trivializing that. I'm not saying, oh God, you want to watch the game with me? You know, that's not what we're talking about. But as believers, if we are blood-bought, if we have been born again, if we have been saved through Jesus Christ, we have entered into that union with the Father. We have become sons and daughters of God, adopted into the family of God. We get to enjoy God. We get to enjoy His benefits. We get to enjoy His presence. We get to enjoy being with Him. We get to enjoy His Word. It is not laborious. It is not anything that is arduous in our mind. But we get to come before the Lord and enjoy Him. When was the last time you enjoyed the Lord? When was the last time you enjoyed being in the presence of the Lord? When was the last time you diligently pursued and ran after God and said, God, i got to have you or I'm going to die? Oh, the psalmist knew it. The psalmist said, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul pants after you. And look what else. Go back to Psalm 42. He says, my soul pants for thee. Very specific. It pants for thee. That word pants means uh, to cry, to long after. It portrays a strong yearning after something. Where's your yearning? How do you go after God? Do you desire, could it be equated with thirst? Do you thirst for him? Oh, let me share something. Tuesday night, we have, we have Bible study. We've been going through the book of Romans verse by verse. And Tuesday night, we have Bible study. And what we're seeing on Tuesday night is pretty incredible because we're seeing people and they're coming out and just in response to the word of God, the spirit of God is convicting them. People who weep and thirst after God who are realizing, man, I got to have the Lord. I want more of the Lord. I want more of God. Oh, there's no manipulation. We don't play it up. We're not playing just as I am in the background. Genuine, spontaneous moves of God as people see themselves and go, oh my goodness, look at the God in whom we serve. I believe that this is perhaps the single most important face, uh, issue facing the church today. I honestly do. You might be asking yourself, why does this matter? The answer is very simple. The difference between intellectual faith, life-giving, Holy Spirit-filled, God-experienced, God-believing faith is as different as day and night. The believer who knows their God will stand and do great things. Daniel 11.33 says, And those who know their God will do great exploits. They're going to stand. They're going to be strong. What day and age is this that we're living in? Listen, church, I don't know about you, but let me tell you something. I don't understand what other believers are waiting for. If I taught a class in Revelations 10 years ago, all the people would go, oh boy, look at that, that's so exciting. When that happens, I hope blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? A lot of that is happening today. Are you waiting for communist soldiers to come marching down the street with bayonets and start rounding up the Christians and throwing them into concentration camps? For the first time in my life, I could foresee that is happening as a reality. Are you waiting for a wicked government to come and ban church services? I was watching the Gator game yesterday. 91,000 people filled the swamp. Not one of them was wearing a mask. Not one of them, right? 91,000 people, shoulder to shoulder. Football players on the field, they're not wearing a mask underneath their thing, right? But yet, as you take a look out there, that's okay. But for churches... Just a few months ago, well, you can't meet. Oh, you shouldn't sing. You shouldn't do this. 
You shouldn't do that. What are we waiting for? Why are not believers on their knees now interceding and begging God for the church? What will it take the church of God to respond? To come before our God with humility and brokenness. Listen, in Israel, whenever there was a great calamity, they would call a solemn assembly. They'd say, all of Israel come out and we're going to mourn and we're going we're to repent in sackcloth and ashes and we're going to cry out unto the Lord until the Lord hears us. Church, we need to be doing the very same thing. And we need to be crying out to the Lord. Not that He's going to take everything away. But we need to be crying out to the Lord, Lord, give me grace, give me strength, help me to stand in this wicked day, Lord God, that I would not bow the knee to Baal. Listen, you're going to hear me say that till I'm blue in the face because believers cannot, we cannot bow the knee to Baal. And let me share something. That is the God of our nation. Is Baal. I don't have time to go into it, but a lot of things you see happening in our society also happen in the societies that worship Baal. Offering children to Moloch. Worshiping false gods. In the greater context, the heart of the psalmist who has been away from his God now yearns. With an insatiable yearning, with a constant passion, a determined pursuit to find God again. The presence of God, the fellowship of God, the sweet communion of God. We see this in Psalm 63. Turn over your Bible, Psalm 63, for a brief moment. Hold yourself in Psalm 42, but turn over to Psalm 63. Psalm 42 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Psalm 63 is the psalm of David, the king. Look at Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, Thou art my God. I shall seek Thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh yearns for Thee. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Sound familiar? Especially that last part. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. What is David saying? David is saying, my heart yearns for thee. David's writing this as, as he was kicked out of Jerusalem. He's writing this. He says, oh God, oh God, I shall seek thee early, earnestly. Notice those words. I'm going to seek thee earnestly. Discipline, effort, consistency. I'm going to seek you, Lord, because I know in my heart if I seek you, you will allow yourself to be found. And he equates it with his flesh yearning, yearning for thee. And the conditions around them, how are they? Everybody's going to the temple together. Everybody's having a good time. Oh, Lord, you know, let's, let's go have a party in church. What are his conditions here? In a dry and weary land. The landscape in this nation is dry. And it's weary. You got a lot of people jumping around, shouting about, talking about things they have no knowledge of. You have hyper-emotionalism in the church. You have, you have dry ritualism in the church. I always say there's a radical left, there's a radical right. But where in the world is the radical middle? Where are the ones that are built upon the word of God? Where are the ones that are yearning and thirsting for God and saying, that's what I want. I want God. I want God in reality. I want God in truth. I want God in power. David likens himself. Look at verse 2 there, Psalm 63. Thus I have beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power, to see thy glory, because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Do you know the loving kindness of God? Can you say it's better than life itself? David's intent is to search for God like one searches for water in a dry landscape. Oh, that we would search for God in that manner. Here's a question, you know, dear friend. Is, is your life so perfect? 
Is your life so full that the pursuit of God is not worth it? Have you forfeited the glory of the presence of God for things, for convenience, for leisure? Listen, if that's the case, I beg you, with everything in me, repent and return unto the Lord. Repent and come back. Why, the, Isaiah the prophet said, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do we trade minutes and hours and days and months for that which is not God? Should not God be the greatest compassion, the greatest yearning, the greatest driving force of our life if we are called by the name of Christ? I think so. That's not you. Repent. Turn from your sins. Turn away from trusting yourself, your own righteousness, and come by genuine faith and entrust yourself to Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Entrust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. This is the heart. Come and pursue Him. Let go of all your other pursuits. Listen to the Word of God. Don't take me. Listen to the Word of God. Jeremiah 29. You could write these down. You could go back to them later. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Listen to the word of the prophet Jeremiah. My favorite prophet, by the way. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Notice, notice, There's work that has to be done. Now, we're never going to advocate salvation by works. But what I'm saying is there is a discipline. There is a driving force. He says, you will seek me and you're going to find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Deuteronomy 4.29 But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. If you search for him with all of your heart and all of your soul. So Moses and Jeremiah are completely in sync. Proverbs 8, 17. I love those who love me and those who seek me early and diligently will find me. Again, Jeremiah 33, 3. I love this verse. The prophet says, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. And that word mighty there is reflective of things that you don't know of. That's the mighty. So I'm going to show you things that you don't know of. James 4.8, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And the Apostle Paul said this as he was speaking on Mars Hill Acts 17, 27, that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And he wrote that to unbelievers. He spoke that to unbelievers. God is not far. Go back to Psalm 42, verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The psalmist's passion for God is articulated in his soul's thirst for God. One of our body's strongest responses. Thirst denotes longing, desire, and needs to be satisfied. And his desire isn't for any religious service. You notice that. His desire is for the Lord himself. Notice the anticipation there in verse 2. The desire, the essential need to be made complete by fellowshipping with God. We read it in our opening psalm, Psalm 84. Also articulates this, Psalm 84, verse 3. Verse 2. My soul long, even yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh Sing for joy to the living God. 
So the final question we must answer is how do we, how do we develop this relationship with God? What must we do? I guess this is the part you're waiting for something novel, right? You're waiting for something like I'm going to pull out of the pocket. Here comes the secret. I'm going to tell you what you must do if you're a believer in Christ. It is prayer, meditation of God's Word, and allowing ourselves to hear God speak. In prayer, it is not formalistic, ritualistic prayer. It's not, oh, Father, I go to bed now, Lord, I pray my soul to keep. Father, I bless this one, bless that one. In Jesus' name, amen. It's that guttural prayer. It's a prayer that emanates out of the gut. It's crying unto God because you want Him to hear. It's crying from your gut because you long for His presence. It's crying unto God to give Him the glory, the worship, the honor that He is so due. It is rendering to Him that which is His so that God would hear, as Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 say, God's arm is not short that it cannot save. His ear is not dull that it cannot hear. But it's crying that comes from the gut. Listen, if there's one thing I'll impress upon you today, get away from stale ritual prayer. And pray with your mind and pray with your soul and pray with your gut and come alone into the presence of God and say, Lord, here it is. And if that's five words with the gut, with integrity over 500 words, then so be it. Sit in the presence of God until he answers. Meditation upon God's word. Part of the problem is we're always telling God what to do. You hear the prayers all the time. Lord, I pray for my sister who lost her job. She needs a job that makes $100,000 and she's got to have benefits for her kids and she needs this and she's got to work for a good boss and she's got to need that. And there we are and God's going, what do you want me to do? You just told me what you want me to do. Stop telling God what to do. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. The Scriptures tell us that the steps of the righteous are ordained by God. We as people who trust in the providence and in the sovereignty of God must get back to the place where we trust in the providence and the sovereignty of God. Here's a bulletin. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced it, but it's real in my life. Guess what? Stuff happens that we don't understand. I know none of you ever had that experience, but I certainly have that experience. Stuff happens. And we don't always understand it. Hey, stuff happened to Job. And Job cried, Lord, if I can only make my case before you, Lord, if only I can get my day in court. God shows up and goes, "Uh, where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I created the animals? Where were you when I did this? What do you, where were you when I hung the stars like a curtain and the sons of the mornings praised out God? He never answered his question. You know Job's encounter with God ended up with? I have heard of you with the hearing of the words. Now I see you and I repent in sackcloth, in ashes. Oh, that we cling to the person of God. We need to meditate upon His Word. Let me share something with you. God did not speak and write a book. God speaks through the Word of God. He speaks in the Word of God. There's a lot of people running around saying, God told me to tell you this. God told me, hey, tune that stuff out. God speaks in the Word. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening? 
That's where the meditation and the contemplation of the Word of God comes in. We need to pray from the gut. We need to pray with the soul. We need to sit and meditate upon the Word of God. And we need to hear God speak through His Word. How do you get there? Prayer, meditation of the Word of God, allowing God to speak. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? He reveals to us all truth. We need to come before the Lord. <clears throat> it's in the quiet that we find the Lord. You hear what I said? It's in the quiet. It's not in the noise. I've been in too many churches where there have been way too much noise and very little God. Amen. Hooting and hollering, jumping around, swinging from chandeliers. No knowledge of God. Formalized, minimized, indifferent prayer and you will never, ever know the intimacy of being with God. If your prayer life is you pray before you eat and you pray before you go to bed, you will never, ever know the intimacy of spending time with the Father. And listen, if you're born again, by the way, you know this, right? I pray that you know this. But if you're born again, you have been given entrance to the throne room of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two. There's no longer a separator. There's no longer a divider. The blood of Jesus Christ makes us right, not our own blood. The blood of Christ makes us right, and it gives us entrance into the throne room of God. How many of you would like to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with God? I bet you all would raise your hand. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you can come. You can come and let your request be made known, as the writer of Hebrews says. And find grace and mercy and help in time of need. Why is this not done? We get up early to catch a plane. We get up early to go on vacation. We find time to do everything under the sun, but why will we not run to God and find Him? There's a famous saying <clears throat> popularized today. <clears throat> God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You hear? Let me say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So I think the reverse could be true. When we're not satisfied in God, God is not glorified in us. So the question is, is God glorified in you and are you most satisfied in him? Christian, let us not be satisfied with the creations of the world, but rather like the deer that panteth after the water brook. Let us be satisfied only in Him. Maybe today you hear the voice of the Father calling you. Draw near to Him and pursue Him. God has provided for those who are in Christ a way. And He bids us to come. He says, let us enter the throne room boldly. Boldly. That doesn't mean arrogantly. In the days of kings, you could not walk into the throne room of a king unless he summoned you. And if he summoned you, you could not make direct eye contact with him. You had to come with your head bowed. And if he spoke to you, you would have to answer. Our God, the king of kings, says to his children, come into my throne room boldly. You don't need an invitation. Come on in. Make your request known. Tell me what it is that you want. Tell me what is on your heart. Come in and fellowship with me. Let's spend time together. The atoning blood of Jesus had made this all possible. Listen, it is in the presence of the Lord 
where we are filled with the Holy Spirit, translated into the kingdom of God and empowered for living. Empowered for living. Isn't that what we need to be empowered for living today? And which one of us would testify to God that we don't need His presence? That we don't need God at this station in our life? Which one of us can testify to the Father's sacrifice of the Son is not needed right now? How can we look at our Father who has equipped us with everything in Christ Jesus pertaining to godliness and righteousness and say, not now, Lord. I'll do, it, I'll do it a little bit later. But let me share something. That's exactly what we do. Without words, but with our deeds. When we make no time for the Lord. I don't think anybody would utter those blasphemous words. But that's literally what happens. I pray that the Spirit of God would use this text to convict us. To convict us. And like the deer that's panting after the water brook. That we ourselves would pursue God with diligence and earnestness and enter into that sweet communion with the living God. To find the peace of knowing Him, to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with power, that we might speak Thy Word with all boldness. I don't know of any more important truth than that for believers in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to leave you with the words of Leonard Ravenhill. I love these words. They were in my office for the longest time. <clears throat> are the things we are living for worth Christ dying for? Let's go to Lord in prayer. Mighty God, as we gather on this day, we pray that you would indeed speak and that you would be glorified and that you would be exalted. Father, pierce every heart. Draw us in, Father, that we would pursue you and forgive us for our sins when we don't. And be thou exalted, almighty God. Grant that thy servants may speak thy word with all boldness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.